right, let's see. Let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. On Christ, the solid rock, <clears throat> I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, help us drive that deeply into us today that apart from your eternal plan, there is no other ground that's not sinking, even though it may be amazing and lined with plenty of dollars to get us through this life, in the end it sinks apart from you. You are the resurrection and the life. Lord, I'm asking you to uh, lead us into your word today. Let it become part of our very, the fabric of our spiritual DNA. Allow us to just eat your flesh and drink your blood today. I know that sounds odd, but those were your words, simply meaning your word and then your blood shed for us from the foundations of the world. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we are going to conclude Luke chapter 18 today. And I'd like to uh, preface this with saying this is probably the easiest and the most exciting um, study that I do uh, we will ever touch on. Now, we're always going back to the prophets, are we not? We're constantly recognizing that what is embedded in the prophets is unpacked in the Christ event. And this is, you're going to see this in more with more clarity. Now, some of this you will have heard. I've, I've found myself even, uh, we just came up in some men's fellowships over the last number of weeks that we talked about a portion of what I'd like to talk about this morning. But this is so easy for me because it it, 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 I've said to you before, this has been an intellectual anchor for me for decades now. It gives me increase, apart from my subjective experience of walking with Jesus, it gives me an insight and a, a solidity to my faith that I don't think I would have apart from recognizing that the plan was in place before the foundations of the earth. Allow me to say that again. The plan of Jesus being on earth for three, three and a half years, and all, his ultimate passion and his, his becoming the Lamb of God, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection according to the prophets and the scriptures, as 1 Corinthians 15 said, was the plan from the beginning. God had been writing about these things hundreds of years before they occurred. And as we'll see, it wasn't even hundreds of years it was potentially, if you're maybe like me and you have no problem with a 13 and a half billion year old universe, billions of years before the time of Jesus, these things were already inscribed on the eternal books, if you will. Are you ready? Luke chapter 18, verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus, he then took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, in other words, check this out. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now you can imagine that immediately, I, I have no doubt that they were probably excited about this because their assumption would be that they had been reading in the prophets, there's going to be a forever king in the line of David, and he's going to come up, and he's going to set up shop, and he's going to make all things right for Israel and the people of Israel, not recognizing the thoroughness of the prophets having talked about not just Israel, 
but all the world, all the nations were going to be impacted. They couldn't see that yet. They didn't understand what he was talking about. Specifically here, he's talking about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he knew that he was going to be laying down his life in such a gruesome and brutal fashion, but that the outworking of that would be life and light, not just to the Jewish people, but to the world. And to us sitting here some 2,000 years later, it's going to be profound. And then he goes on and Jesus describes it just a little bit. He says for he was going to be handled over to the Gentiles, and that would, of course, be Pontius Pilate. And for those skeptics um, among you or that may be watching, we have evidence that Pontius Pilate was living during the time of Jesus. We have the Pilate stone that was contempor contemporaneous with the time of Jesus. A lot of people argue the existence of a guy named Pilate, and it was just some mythological. Uh, this is a, an historical faith that we have that is embedded and grounded in this place that is called Israel today that exists that didn't even exist prior to 1948 in terms of its national statehood, but it exists today, and we can go there, and many of you have been with me, and we'll, we'll do another trip here before long, and we will, we will walk in these very places. It's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, and he's going to be mocked. He's going to be mistreated. If you can imagine the ultimate indignity, he's even going to be spit upon. Try to imagine the very force that spoke the creation of the cosmos into existence is going to allow his created beings to spit in his face. Don't just read over that. That is profound. That's extraordinary. It's also absurd and ridiculous on so many levels. And after they have scourged him, they're going to kill him. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. And it simply says the disciples understood none of it. They just couldn't understand. And can you blame them? I mean, the, most of these disciples were not part of the rabbinical crowd. They had not been trained in these various schools, uh, unlike the Pharisees. And uh, they hadn't been trained up to have be these theological, you know, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors. They, they knew some of this. It's not that they weren't unaware of it. But even those that could see couldn't really see. Who would imagine that God was going to take on human flesh and come down and be spit upon scourged and brutally beaten nobody they couldn't understand it and the meaning of this statement in fact was even hidden from them and they did not comprehend the things that were said i can tell you today that in our culture that still is true now we're looking back they were contemporaries obviously of jesus they were there right there with him and they didn't understand but to this day, 2,000 years later, there are millions of people around this world that have no real comprehension that the things that occurred to Jesus were part of the plan of God. It wasn't a bad turn that lent itself to a, a mythological figure that would come about hundreds of years later and somehow, some way, uh, this thing would emerge maybe in the fourth or fifth century 
and this idea of a risen Jesus would emerge, you have to understand as a believer in Jesus that these things were written by the prophets from the beginning. Jesus was, was crucified, if you will, before the foundations of the earth. It was always part of the plan. Revelation 13 verse 8 simply says, All inhabitants of the earth are going to worship the beast and all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is the NIV. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Can you even, can you even take that in? I mean, that's just crazy. It was always the plan. Always. Of course, Peter says it clearly. And then these prophets, they were looking, they were peering in, trying to understand what this spirit was saying in them. And they were writing it down. And we're going to see in many portions and in many ways. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, this death, this brutal beating, and then this atonement for the world, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. What would that have looked like, by the way? I mean, these are men, these are men who were down on their face. They were, Lord, I don't understand what you're, the Spirit is trying to communicate to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, can you imagine Isaiah thinking about what is this, this servant who will die for the sins of Israel, a sheep like a sheep led to slaughter and someone who is marred more than any man and the stroke that's due us, uh, the people, the Jewish people would fall on him. What was he saying? What was he? He was, he was trying to inquire. I don't know. I've always wondered how much they really understood, how much they really knew about what they were writing. Uh, but it's more than just Isaiah and a few major prophets. It's all the story of the Tanakh or the Old Testament. Every single book, all 39 point to the ministry of the person of Jesus, to the need for, in some various fashion, in some, in some way, they allude to it. They create a story that is, becomes a metaphor, or they create a template that gives us insight into what Jesus would do on the earth. Every single man who wrote and looked forward was seeing these things. And yet, I don't think they could really understand. I, they were inquiring. They were desperately trying to figure this out. And they were carefully searching. And then notice, and this is unbelievable that Peter says this, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ <laughs> within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories of to follow. Is that not a strange way to phrase it? No, it was the spirit of Jesus thousands of years, hundreds of years before his own existence within these prophets who were describing to them in their spirit little portions, little places where they were writing I don't think fully, not having any real comprehension in most cases of what they were writing at all, it was the Spirit of Jesus talking about His own death, burial, and resurrection, and the glories to follow. 
I mean, I'm looking right now as I look out over this church and then through the lens out to those who are now gone and live streaming or whatever. Maybe you're looking at this even a year later. I'm looking at the part of the of the fallout of the glories that will follow this. Exactly what Peter's saying. The glories that would follow what is it? Restored families, recovering addicts, uh, Marriages that are reformed out of nothing when there was nothing. I'm talking about amazing, glorious, uh, no fear of death. Uh, Men and women who would go onto the battlefield, uh, maybe be called by their own government. And many would go with fear, but many would not go with fear because they, they just didn't have any fear of death anymore. And we haven't even scratched the surface. Wait till, wait till Jesus comes back. Wait till the glory that will follow Wait till the glory. And they were just searching and inquiring and trying to figure out what is the spirit? It was the spirit of Jesus himself indicating his own sufferings in their own spirit. Isn't that wild? Doesn't that not blow you away? It blows me away. It catapults me into a new depth of love for Jesus, just understanding that here's Jesus knowing hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this is what I'm going to allow my creation to do to me in 700 years, Isaiah. This is what I'm going to allow. And and the timing will be perfect. It'll be a Kairos moment. It'll be the exact, at the proper time, God sent forth his son. That's going to be me. And he he was just... He was just demonstrating this through the prophets. Now, there is, I'm telling you right now, until Jesus comes back, we could go line by line through the entire Old Testament, and and, and we could just unpack everything's pointing to Jesus. And again, you've heard me quote this time and time again, John 5, Jesus said, if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me because Moses was writing about me. And how did, now, if you put that together with 1 Peter here, chapter 1 and 10 and 11, what do you get? It was me, my spirit in Moses, trying to describe to Moses as he wrote the Pentateuch, it's talking about me. And you have to grapple with that, whether you're Jewish or you're a Gentile. You have to grapple with Jesus inside speaking to Moses and provoking him to write these things through the law and through all these various uh, ways and portions that we see the Pentateuch, the first five books. Uh, Amazing. It just just boggles my mind. Now, we, we can spend time in the prophets major and minor prophets. We could spend time in Psalms and see that his beard was going to be plucked out. We could spend time talking about his glorious return where Psalm 118 will be chanted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We could could just do all of that. We could go back into the judges. We could go back into Joshua as they moved in to conquer the land. We could go back into the Chronicles of the Kings and how he would be coming on the, on the throne of David. We could just go on and on and on, but you have places to be today. So we're going to narrow this down a little bit, and we're, and we're going to work through. And I already realized as I was kind of panning through this, if you want to know my schedule, and nobody's asking, but I'll tell you anyway, I finish on Sunday, I go home and rest on Sunday afternoon, I get up on Monday, I start praying, and I try to get an outline, something done for the next Sunday, 
and then I kind of get it to the guys and they we, we start working on the backdrops and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of my normal weekly routine. And then through the week, I start thinking about the outline uh, and how to fill it in and maybe a creative story or something or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just kind of how it works with me. That's kind of my MO. That's how it works. And this week I got the outline and I started and I said, well, I can't, I can't skip that. And then I can't skip that. And then I realized this is so dense. There is no way. These, I, these people, they will string me up if I don't be cautious about not trying to go into this. So I don't know how long I'm going. I don't know how, not, I know how long I'm going. Don't, don't freak out. I'll, I'll hold this to my little 45 minute deal. But I will tell you that it's impossible to even scratch the surface in the time that we have together, seeing Jesus emerge in the prophets and the forefathers. It's impossible. I will tell you that there's virtually not a day goes by that I don't see some new refraction of the light of Christ through the Old Testament. Every single day, something. Now, it doesn't all deal with the death of Jesus, which is what we're really dealing with here this morning, uh, but it deals with the totality of the ministry of Jesus and the glories to follow. It's full of it, completely packed with Jesus, completely packed. So we're going to start, just going to do, just going to touch on this. Now, again, now, some of you say, oh, I've heard that before. Allow me to uh, say this. It's exciting. It was at ex least exciting for me when I started to hear something for the second or third time because then I could start remembering where the address was, right? I want you to know Genesis 1 and 2, and it was good, and then Genesis 3, and then this whole story unfolds. So I, I, we're going to read this story. It's really the, the fall and then the curse, and we're not going to read the entirety. But we're going to read a portion of it. And I know we've looked at this part before, but maybe you'll see a, something different today. There's never a time, I, I've taught through this, I would say hundreds and hundreds of times through the last two decades. And every time I see something, it just grabs me. And maybe the Lord will do that for you this morning if you are familiar with a very familiar passage. But we'll start with Genesis, the first book of the Torah, Genesis chapter three. Let's start in verse eight, okay? Now, this is a strange thing that happens, and a lot of the, the, if you don't understand the Christ event, none of this will make sense. If you don't understand Jesus dying and, and being slain before the foundations of the earth, and that this was always the plan of God, I don't know how you make sense out of this. I don't know how you make sense. In fact, I would say I don't know how to make sense of anything in the Old Testament outside of the Christ event. A few moral platitudes, the Ten Commandments, I'm not saying those are unimportant by any means, of course, but those are replaced now by having a spirit-led life, and that was also what Ezekiel had seen, that I'm going to put the law within them, that give them a new heart and a new spirit, and that would be inaugurated through the atoning blood of the unblemished lamb, Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. That's the point. Always. And it starts with Jesus. Now, Jesus has already emerged, I believe, in Genesis 1, 26. Let us create man in our own image. There's a plurality of God, although he is one, echad. It is a compound unity. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Spirit. It's already embedded in the first chapter. So Jesus, and, and then if you go to Colossians, we know that all things were created by him and for him. So when it says there's a, a spoken word, we know that was Jesus. So Jesus shows up early and often. 
And here he emerges again. Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why? Where has the story gone? Give us a little context. The fruit, that forbidden fruit, was eaten. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've heard me teach this many times. It's my view on this. I think this is a predictive picture of the law. When you eat of the law, we see it in 2 Corinthians, when you eat of the law, you shall surely die. What gives you knowledge of good and evil? The law gives us knowledge of good and evil. God never wanted you just to follow a bunch of musts and have-tos and oughtas. He wants you to have a dynamic living relationship so thoroughly love-bound that you would never do anything to violate your Creator, and He would never do anything to violate, obviously, you, because He is the very perfection, the picture of love. That's what He wanted. He didn't want them doing that. But, well, they fell as we all do to this, to the hiss. Fall, a fall to the hiss, and then immediately... Though they used to walk and have this dynamic relationship in this glorious place, earth, it no longer existed. Immediately they hid themselves. We'll find out why now. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, said to him, where are you? I've been talking to my friend Dwayne down here and Nancy and talking a little bit about this, where are you? It's really been going through my head a lot lately. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I, I'm starting to form a template in my own mind, a way to share the gospel with people, essentially, which asks question number one, where are you? Or in Jesus also, as Jesus talked about it, he said, what do you seek? As we saw last week, what do you seek? Where are you? What are you seeking? Uh, question, uh, uh, start with a question, because a lot of people, when it comes out of their mouth, they don't recognize what they're seeking or where they are, but it helps you assess how you can speak to someone about their own journey if you understand where they are or at least where they perceive themselves to be. Where are you? Do you think God needed to know where they were? Like he didn't have a knowledge? Like, I mean, it's a little bit like an adult, you know, when I play with my grandson Emerson and, uh, or, or with my girls, I should say, maybe Emerson's not quite old enough yet, but with the girls, we do hide and seek and they would go and, you know, you see legs sticking out and hair falling out everywhere, you know, and they're hiding behind a bush and, and, but you pretend, you pretend like you can't see them, you know, where are you, where are you? And then you can hear the, <laughs> you hear the little giggles because I had all girls, you know, and they imagine that they were invisible, even though I can see Lots of body parts hanging out behind that skinny little pole or that tree that they're hiding behind. Where are you? Where are you? And as you would get closer, hotter, hotter, colder, colder, the giggles would increase. And uh, but the problem here is that the giggles weren't increasing. They were hiding because they were ashamed and they should have been ashamed. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and well, this is the response that Adam gives. I heard, verse 10, uh, the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, again, up to this point, they had no knowledge of their own nakedness. They had no self-awareness. Uh, by the way, that's what 
grace and spirit-led life should lead to is a lack of self-awareness. You're so riveted on Jesus and your relationship with him that you're just not as aware of yourself as you are. The law makes you constantly come back and look and look for spots and, and blemishes and things on. And, you know, and that's not, a, that's not a dynamic way to live. Relationships struggle if someone's so concerned about what the other pe person thinks. Have, maybe you've had that situation in your life where you become so, maybe you're somewhat of an introvert and you've become so overwhelmed with what the other person is thinking of you, the relationship is marred by that, right? Because you're like, what is he gonna think? What is he gonna say? What's she gonna think? What's she gonna, what, is, what are they thinking of me? Does my hair look bad? Do I have something hanging out my eye? You know, what's going on? Do I, you know, is my dress straight? Is my, is my tie on? And you become so self-aware that it, it restricts any flow of relational, there's no relational integrity there because someone's so self-conscious, right? And that's what had happened here. And uh, there was a reason for that. And verse 11 says, who told you, who told you that, were you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat as if God didn't know? And then uh, here's, here's the beginning right here. There's the, the, the tragedy and, and you can trace this back from the, to the very beginning. The man said, the woman who you gave to me, all right? The woman who you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. There's two indictments there, by the way. It's not only it's her fault, so we point horizontally, it's the woman that you gave me, this falls on your plate. The evil in my life is your problem, and their problem. See, this is the fundamental issue when anybody tries to first hear the gospel. This is the issue. They are vertical blamers. God, how could God allow this? I don't even believe in God. If God did exist, how could he allow this? And we are horizontal blamers. And as a result, we don't see our own need for Jesus to be slain before the foundation of the earth. How would I ever follow a ridiculous barbaric religion that requires bloodletting of the founder of the religion. What kind of nonsense is that? A lot of people feel that way. Maybe you're watching today and you feel that way. Wait just one moment until you understand more clearly what's going on here. She did it. She made me do it. And by, by the way, you're the one, I was doing fine down here by myself until you, you know, poked around in my ribs, you know. I mean, you said it, it's your deal. Verse 13 says, then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this you have done? And the woman is not exempt from the excuses. And the woman said, it was the devil who made me do it. It was the first Flip Wilson of all time. And if you don't know what that means, then you're entirely too young to come to church at the red door. But no, we love you. You come back, please. We, 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 if we get it, we get that, if we get that uh, new area built in the new church there, we're going to have all kinds of families and they won't know who Flip Wilson is. So we'll, we'll have to show. But the serpent deceived me and I ate and the Lord said to the serpent. Okay. So you see what's going on here. <clears throat> blame, 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 blame. We used to have this great relationship, but now we just, and the temptation was always the same. It's God's holding out on you. He knows that in the day you eat of that, you're going to become like him, you know, and he doesn't want that because he's very insecure. 
and God needs to subject this creation to you, never reminding them that, in fact, he's the creator and you're the creation. You can be like the creator. Well, of course, we know that's absurd, but like I said before, most of the world doesn't understand this anyway now at all. They don't understand these stories, and so they just they push it to the side. Go a little deeper with me this morning. So in speaking to the serpent, he said, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now, I'm not going to unpack that fully. My view is simple on that. By saying that the Satan, who's a created being, is going, and it's not, doesn't mean that Satan was a snake and still is a snake. Satan is always kind of pictured it metaphorically as some kind of reptilian person. He emerges as a dragon in, in different places and serpents. And uh, it's cold-blooded, basically. Just think cold-blooded. He said, on your belly you shall go. What does that mean? You're going to be so closely associated with what is now a fallen earth that you will never have the ability to partake of the divine. Again, you were very near me. Satan was created as a covering angel. You were very near me, but you will only feast there will be no eat my flesh and drink my blood. There is no atonement possible for you. There is no eating of my words that will restore and bring life. The only thing you're ever going to eat is fallenness. And it's represented by the dirtiness of this world. And if you don't understand that, then you won't understand. You will have an existential crisis your entire life. You will always be asking, how can people be so brutal? And you'll be pointing horizontally and horizontally and horizontally, and then you will do the same thing they did, and you'll point vertically and say, if there is a God, I wouldn't follow you, even if you did exist, because of all the horror show that I see down here, and there are so many people that walk around thinking that that is somehow a commendable position and an intelligent position. That is not an intelligent position. That is not a commendable position. That is a place of a lack of knowledge. It is birthed out of ignorance. And you say, well, don't be so harsh. It just is if you understood the stories, if you understood what the Spirit of Jesus was communicating through these men for hundreds of years before his event, his, his death, his burial and resurrection, then you too would understand the story of the world and it would make sense of the world in which you live. Satan can only partake of junk and impurity and self-aggrandizement, pride, avarice. That's the only thing he can eat of. And so don't be surprised when people said, well, I'm very spiritual. And you ask the, what we talked about a few weeks ago. You say, what spirit is that of? And they don't know if it leads to any of those outcomes. It's dust. He's, you're eating of dust just like Satan ate dust. And it always leads to death. But it looks so good going down. He goes on to say in verse 15, and this is the point of where Jesus emerges. The very moment that Jesus is talking about in Luke 18, where he says it's time to we, that we, we're going to Jerusalem so that all the prophets have seen can, well, it's about to go down. And they're going to they're gonna beat me and they're going to scourge me and they're going to spit on my face. Do you know where that was first laid out? It's right here. 
says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman still speaking to the serpent and between your seed and her seed. But this seed of the woman, he's going to bruise you on the heel. Excuse me, he's going to bruise you on the head. But you're going to bruise him on the heel. Okay, so again, if you've been around and you, and you know your Bible, if you're a Bible student, you will, you will very much understand that this is the very first preaching of an evangelistic message. This is the Proto-Evangelion, which this is a picture of what's gonna be preached to the whole world to bring life and to bring us, if you will, from being east of the garden back into the garden. This is it. This is the foundations for everything that the rest of the Bible will unpack in greater and greater detail, culminating in this moment in Luke 18 where it says, it's time. The time is now. I'm going to Jerusalem to save the world. But it started right here. You say, how so, Jeff? Well, you're going to bruise him on the head, this seed of the woman, this, this Jesus, this messianic figure. Who The seed of the woman clearly is Jesus. I don't have time to get into the full unpacking of that, how that works through the scriptures, this, this red thread, if you will, through the scriptures. But the seed of the woman, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And again, I've said this before, I've preached this before, and you're going to hear it again, and probably within the next you know, year, you'll hear, if you don't hear this all the time from me, then something's wrong. Okay, so if it, what happens with a heel shot, you know, it's like, well, it's a pickleball entry is actually what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a hamstring or a, or a Achilles tendon or whatever, you know, it's something back here. It's a heel shot. Somebody can not hit you from the back and you can go down and you may be in a tremendous amount of pain and it may be awful, but at some point you get back up. It may require some surgery, it may, may require some bed rest, it may require a lot of ibuprofen, it may require something, but at some point you're going to rise again from a heel shot. But not so with a head blow, the crushing of Satan. What happened at the cross was a predictive prophecy of exactly what Jesus is talking about in Luke 18. Now's the time. It's time for Satan to give us his best shot. But trust me, it will only be a heel shot because on the third day, I will rise again. That's changed the course of the earth. Everything we think about you know, I'll make my way to Houston uh, on Friday and uh, going to be speaking at a memorial in Houston. And, uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, you have family there. You have grieving family, a grieving widow. You have people there. I'm sure maybe some know Jesus, some don't. I, I, I don't know what that's going to hold for me when I get off that plane. But the message will be clear it was a heel shot, and because it was a heel shot, he rose again. And if you're in Christ, if he rose again, then you too will rise again at the last day. Thank God it wasn't just a few words switched, right? You're going to bruise him on the head, but he's going to bruise you on the heel. In other words, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to put a little dent into your territory, Hey, he's going he's gonna to do the best he can to fight back the darkness. But at some point, the darkness will overtake even the nice, you know, moral teachings of a teacher that lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, just switch those just a little bit. 
What if Jesus was just going to be the one that bruised Satan on the heel, but ultimately Jesus would go away? See, that's being proclaimed all over the place. Religion's dead. It's over. You people still talking about Jesus. I cannot believe you're still talking about that stuff. Haven't we done away with that? Hasn't science done away with that? Aren't we above that? Haven't we all been enlightened? I mean, really, haven't we been enlightened? Oh, yeah, let's see what that looks like. You, you remove God from the scenario. You remove Jesus from the scenario. What do you get? You get the Holocaust. You get uh, Marxism that led to, you know, Leninism and communism and, and the barbaric slaughter of millions of people. You see that even going on right now all around the world. People are giving their life. Why? Because they feel that Jesus won or because they feel like Jesus lost? It was, a, it was a headshot to Jesus. Jesus is insignificant. He doesn't mean anything. He doesn't mean anything to our culture anymore. It's just nice little moral platitudes. It's little teacher rabbi Jesus. But there was a headshot, and eventually that'll all go away. And one day we'll be released from the shackles of having to believe in this mystical, fabricated father he talked about, and maybe we'll cling to some of his moral platitudes, but that's it. It's a headshot to Jesus. Uh, Satan, heel shot, yeah, push back some darkness for a while, and people who would buy into that kind of thing and just take the, you know, drink that kind of Kool-Aid, maybe they would treat their neighbor better. Maybe they would feed the poor a little bit more because they believe that somehow, you know, Jesus is still out there somewhere. If that was just switched just a tiny bit, can you see this? Just a tiny bit of a switch there, it changes the destiny of the entire, not just the earth, but the entire, the entire universe. Because if Jesus, Jesus received the heel shot, then he got back up. But if he was dead, if he was dealt the head blow, now nah, we'll put his name on some buildings and maybe put a cross around our neck before we go partying at a club. Somehow, some way, we'll kind of remember him because he is an icon like the Beatles or somebody. I mean, he was, he was popular. He was very, he was very famous and st staggering that we're still talking about some guy 2,000 years later that only lived three decades. And, but at some point, he'll be erased from the chronicles of history and man will triumphantly move on in their own enlightenment. Really? I don't think so. Why? Because right here in the third chapter of Genesis, Jesus himself, his spirit was speaking through Moses predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Well, that's just New Testament. Right there, right there in the Pentateuch. It's awesome. I have 50 pages left, right? So, and I, I feel like if I start the next, I, I, can't, I can't do it very well, but I'm, shall I try? I don't know. What am I supposed to ask you? I mean, look, I, I, we're, we're going to wrap this up this morning. I, what I want you to see, there's so much more. I mean, we just touched on Genesis. I can't wait to get to Exodus. You have to understand the very, the very foundations of this church, church at the red door. Why? I mean, we're going to look at Exodus 12. I know I've talked about that before, but I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail the next time I'm with you, I'll go into a little bit more detail even as to what this means. And it'll give you some depth of insight into Jesus 
and his, his necessary death, you won't even be able to fathom the detail and the intricacies. Why? Again, if you get nothing from this morning, because the spirit of Jesus was predicting the sufferings of himself. Do you get that? Is that not wild? 13, 14, 1500 years before, and at the proper time, God sent forth his son. To do what? Well, again, all things that are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, I would, I would ask you to consider if you are a skeptic here today or watching, if you're a skeptic, I would ask you to consider going through some of the Old Testament with us over coming weeks with a fine-tooth comb and say, if not that, what could this mean? Go ahead and do your due diligence. Do your work. Try to, try to begin to take in, well, if not that, what, what did that mean? If not Jesus, then who could this possibly satisfy these requirements? Because as I said before, his disciples had no awareness. They didn't understand a thing he was saying, but it's still true here. It's still true in the 21st century. We just don't understand these things deeply enough. We're too itchy. We've got cell phones and short attention span theater, and we have ADHD, and we got drugs to help us not be that way. We just have a hard time sitting still, and you better capture my attention in the first five seconds, or I will click to the next one. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. And if you're young enough to know what I'm talking about, I'm glad you're here, because nobody, right? <laughs> have you ever done the tick tock? I mean, it's just like click. Interesting. Five, four, three. Click, 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 click. This takes some work, but it is there for all of us plainly to see. See, the reason we're church at the red door is because of Luke 18. Because we recognize that the prophets had written this, and we know that we can be passed over, and we want to apply the blood to the doorposts of our life. And it was a brutal, chaotic place in that moment, but it was only a heel shot. Are you with me? And he got up. And what does that mean for you? That means you're going to get up at the end of time if you know him. So allow me to say, where are you? Why are you hiding from God? Well, you don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the troubles I've been through. Well, I may not know your exact troubles, but I've had a few troubles of my own. And there are a lot of people sitting here in the, or in the sound of my voice that have had a lot of problems. And it was just our ability to say, okay, somehow by faith, I believe that your death on my behalf, I can get out from behind that little, that little tree. And, 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 and I know I'm naked, but now you understand how you come to God. You come naked and afraid, as the current reality TV would show would tell you. Naked and afraid, yes. But there is no more fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. That's what the, Paul said to the Romans. Perfect love casts out fear. Do you know that your heavenly Father loves you? He's loved you from before he, you were ever even a, just a thought. He saw you in the unformed substance of the earth. 
See, he loves the entire world. But stop for a minute. But his dealings with you change when you come in and believe and follow his son. Because right now, necessarily, his wrath abides on all ungodliness. His wrath abides on you until you're in Christ. But, but he still loves you. So you say, how can it be the same? It's the only way it could be. Justice and righteousness are the foundations of his throne. So if you're not just and you're not righteous, you can't be around his throne. Jesus was, and in Christ, you too can sit at the feet of your father and become part of the family. That's the story here. That's the reason Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And we'll see more of that in weeks to come. Allow me to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your, your spirit. I thank you for the, the wonder of, your, of this message, Lord. It's just, it's too incredible. And people who don't understand it, they don't know it. It's hard to get down into the details and not recognize that it's so clear. It's so clear. You were truly slain for the foundations of the earth. If there's someone in the sound of my voice here that says, you know what, I, I don't want to live under the wrath of God. I want to I be part of the family. It is as simple as choosing to turn around, to repent, to change your mind, to turn around and go the other way. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm a sinner. I need him then I would encourage you to get baptized. We're going to do baptisms on Monday. I believe it's May 1st, if that's correct. Monday, May 1st. And uh, see Randy, myself, see someone, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you signed up. We'll do it at a, a warm swimming pool right here in the desert. Go through the Red Sea and then go in and begin, begin to be discipled and become a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a modern-day disciple. And then move into the calling that God's called you to walk in the real reason you're on the earth so that you can understand exactly where you are. And, but by the way, now you no longer have to feel naked. You can be covered, covered in the righteousness of your creator, Jesus. So if you, if you just say that, just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I don't want the wrath to abide on me. I want to follow you. I give my life to you. And I don't even know what it all means, but I just know it's right. Just tell him. And then, and then make it public. It's as simple as that. It's complicated for him, but it's a simple step. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name.